name is Chris Blitzarves, and welcome to the Chase Your Greatness podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to sit down with Matthew Scarlett. Scarlett played 284 games for the Geelong Football Club, is a six-time All-Australian, triple premiership player, an AFL Hall of Fame inductee, and has achieved legend status with the Geelong Football Club. Today, we dive into what led to the massive culture shift down at the Cats, the training standards that Scarlo has always held himself accountable to, and how a couple of key coaches and mentors in his life took him from the brink of retirement early on to going down as one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Along with this, we touch on how coaching is a constant journey of self-improvement, the art of communication, and how we can never really get it right, and how Scarlo has taken the lessons that he learnt over his career and pass them along to both adults and kids that he works with now. This is a great episode, a wonderful follow-up from Mark's conversation from last week, and the two combined give a wonderful insight into the Geelong Football Club and the long-term success that they still have today. Scarlo is as humble as they come, a true professional in both playing and coaching, and there's plenty of wisdom to take away from this conversation. As always, if you're looking to pick up a copy of our journal and you haven't yet, jump on Amazon, type in Chase Your Greatness and get your chase started today. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Matthew Scarlett. Thanks for uh, thanks for sitting down with me today, Scarlett. I appreciate that. Got me on a bad day, mate. You've just won a bottle of whiskey off me on, on Game 7. I did too. I did too. Never uh, never bet against Jimmy Buckets, mate, especially in the playoffs. Um, all right, for those that, that don't know, I guess, the, the full story of Matthew Scarlett, um, just touch on your background a little bit, sort of summarise, you know, 20-odd years into 20-odd seconds if you can. Um, yeah, local um, local lad grew up in, in Highton. Um, had a pretty... Um, regular and enjoyable childhood really um, sport always been a really big uh, part of my life I was I was mad sports nut into all, all t- types of sport cricket um, basketball soccer played a lot of netball as a kid and obviously football um, had a really good upbringing um, and, and still in Geelong now I love the area and got a lot of close friends and family beautiful how did you I guess because now we obviously work together at Western Heights how did you find your way here yeah I think it was at the end of um sort of my time at the Cats I was sort of unsure um what I was going to do next and like I've um done many times in my life I've sort of given Brendan McCartney um a bit of a call um I guess asking for a bit of guidance and a bit of help um on the next phase of my life so uh, I'm really fortunate that he'd set up this footy program down here and um, sort of I started last year working part-time and really enjoyed the role so I'm um, happy to be here in a, in a full-time capacity now working with these kids. How'd you come across Macca? Uh, really lucky actually I was I think it was in 1999 um, he first came to Geelong as a coach I'd, I'd known Brendan since I was a little kid he actually played football with my old man at Newtown mm. so I've known Brendan for, for most of my life but he came at a really um, fortunate time for me. It was 1999. I got drafted uh, the year before, and I was really unsure with my with my football and my football career. Didn't really have um, a lot of confidence or belief that I was actually going to even have a career. So he arrived at the same time as Mark Thompson and sort of showed a fair bit of belief and um, just worked with me over the next couple of years. And I don't think I would have played many games at all without Macca. Mm. 
so that relationship that you had with him was kind of i mean it was your old man and and mac are pretty tight uh, I'm not sure how close they were. Macca always like speaks pretty fondly of him as a teammate. He said he sort of looked after Macca when he played for Newtown. Um, he's got some other old stories about him, but I'm not sure they were super tight. But um, Macca coached at Richmond um, before he got to Geelong. And I think he saw a couple of things the year before I played Richmond um, in a practice game at Punt Road. And I think I actually had a, had a good game that year, which was quite rare. And Macca was coaching the other team. And saw a few things in me that I didn't really see in myself at that stage. So um, showed a lot of a lot of support, uh, a bit of tough love at the time, but um, certainly guided me through a, a pretty difficult period of, of football. And I remember sitting on the bench um, one VFL game, um, just thinking I was going to be finished the year after. I thought I was hopeless and had no self belief really. Um, it wasn't until Brendan and Bomber come to the club that sort of someone showed a bit of belief and. Um, instilled a bit of confidence in me because you were I was listening to our, our good mate Caleb's podcast with with you as well and you were on the edge of retiring about two seasons in weren't you I thought I was finished yeah um, Gary Ayres was the senior coach then and didn't really show much interest um, probably fair enough probably wasn't showing a hell of a lot either um, not going that well in the VFL um, and I genuinely thought I would have been finished and then um, Gary Ayres left, Mark Thompson came to the club and that gave me a, a bit of hope. I was a big Essendon fan, so I think um, I was just really excited about having um, someone at the club that I really looked up to. So uh, I'm not sure how big a fan he was of me um, in those early times, but Macca definitely saw something um, in me the year before in that VFL game and um, really drove me hard and put his arm around me at the same time um, and just yeah gave me, gave me a shot at the AFL. Nice. Where was your head at with that? Like you think early, early days, right? And I mean, you're obviously, if you're sitting on the pine in the VFL questioning whether this was what you wanted to do or, you know, throwing up between that or walking away, like what, what sort of environment were you in that kind of led to you, you know, essentially second guessing every little kid's dream? Like, yeah. like where, where were you at oh, then? It's a long time ago now, I guess. Uh, very different back then. There wasn't a lot of support um, around footy clubs. I reckon if you were, if you were playing seniors and you're going well, everything was pretty good, but there was no, no real support, I don't think, for or development sort of programs or development coaches for the ones that weren't actually um, in the senior team. I remember my first year or two, we weren't even allowed to train on the, on the oval. There was about seven or eight of us that were sort of no chance of playing seniors. We were put out to the side we trained between the the boundary line and the fence that was our little bit of grass if the ball went on the oval we weren't allowed to go on and get the footy that's that's the type of setup it was back then so mm. um yeah i'm not sure whether um yeah where the head was at obviously in a pretty negative spot um just saw it yeah i, I just didn't think i was good enough mm. it's just a, a purely a lack of self-belief it's just a matter of like needing someone like bomber or someone like macca just to kind of give you that it's all right mate like we've, we've i think so. just there was, there was someone to, to show a little bit of belief um then just someone to, to push you along as well i'd sort of um wasn't really training that well i didn't have anyone to push me along as well so certainly take that in my coaching now with some kids you just you need to push them along mm. um i never thought i would get to where i got to in my afl career certainly that year i 
I didn't know how hard I could train, didn't know how far I could run. I just had no one to, to push me along. Mm. Is it, it's nice to hear that that's, I guess, people have those defining moments in their careers too, and it, or actually more so in their lives rather than their careers. Like you look at you now and you have taken the, I guess, the lessons that you've picked up over the last however many years within an AFL setting. And do you see, in working with the kids here, do you see kids that remind you of yourself and you're like i i know i know where your head's at because i've been there and i know yeah that, i know what definitely yeah you. you see them all the time with the the kids you just um i think it starts with being able to push them and take them beyond their well, i guess how comfortable they are as a kid you don't know how far you can run you don't know how hard you can push yourself there's always like a big brick wall up in front that you sort of stop there but you can get around it with some guidance Mm. Um, I think once you get past those barriers, that's that's where you gain confidence. Mm. Um, so you definitely need someone to give you a push along and then you support them as well along the way. It's sort of you push them really hard and support and then that care factor ultimately sort of overrides the whole the whole thing for me. You've seen plenty of growth in, like, in the in Oh, heaps. Mate. Some of these kids couldn't run a lap or two when I first got here. Now they're running five, six laps, um, going really well with their footy. But I think it's just their, their confidence. Mm. Um, completely different kids and it, like I've, I've spoken about already it starts with actually they're saying I can't do it I can't do it but they actually can they just don't know it yet mm. so you just need someone to be really firm and strong with them and just push them through those hard times then they they achieve that they gain confidence from actually doing it and then um, yeah some of the changes in, in the kids like it's unbelievable from what I've seen and I've only been here for a year and a half um, it's phenomenal what what the program can do to these kids. Mm. No, we, I'll get, I've I've got to say we've noticed something pretty similar in amongst the in the basketball space. Like, and you hear it from parents, you hear the feedback coming back from them saying, "Oh, like such and such is a completely different kid. Like he he's opened up more. He's you know we're having better conversations with him at home. Like, uh, I think that's the beautiful thing about sport. Like it it's just the skills you learn and the the life skills you learn i think it just it transcends just the sport like and you see them walking out like we see kids walking out of year 10 year 11 year 12 and you run into them down the shops or whatever it is and and they're just respectable members of the community which is i know for me again working with the kids that i'm working with that's goal number one like making sure they're walking out of the places better people than what they walked in and like you want to teach them respect and, and hard work, but I like the the self-belief theme, but you yep. can't get self-belief until someone actually kind of steps up alongside yep. you and is like, oh, it's all right, mate, you got this. That's the good cool. thing about coaching, I think, just the growth in the individuals. Um, obviously at this school, we, we play school footy, but don't get to see them much on the weekends, but you, you see them grow as people and walking around the school, their, their body shapes, a lot of them have changed. Um, they just seem really happy kids, so... Um, yeah, it's very fulfilling coaching kids at this age. I think you think you can set them up for the rest of, of their life just with the habits they form. Um, and not all these kids, there'll be a low percentage going probably to play AFL, but they're going to be really strong leaders. I think in the in the community or at their local footy clubs, they'll just they'll know how to train. They'll know how to treat people. Um, I think that's the the great thing about coaching kids. You can have an enormous impact. Mm. What do you look to instill? I guess in in kids and, and not only the kids but but adults because you've done quite a bit in terms of that coaching space too in terms of your 
oh, we'll, we'll say over 18s, I guess, which is yeah. technically adults. But like if you, you've got your team at your fingertips and say it's a fresh group of people, you're coming in, new face, new coach, that kind of thing. Like, like what's your go-to in terms of oh, developing? I think a lot is of it, I've um, had great, sorry, I jumped in, really good fun as well over, over my sporting career. I've had really good people. Um, it hasn't just been the coaches, it's been like volunteers and sort of people help me out. So I always try and make it fun as well. Um, I would like like to think that I'm pretty firm on my on my athletes and those that I coach, but they have a pretty good experience as well. So I think that that's sort of how my philosophy's formed, and it's different for the for the kids here um, than professional athletes. I think as a professional athlete, you need to be able to win. I think to have fun as well. So um, always pushing them really hard. Um, but yeah, that that fun piece, fun mixed with really competitive competitive spirit and team spirit um, but having that confidence and belief to take them to places that um, they didn't think they could go because I've been in that position as well so um, I'd like to think that that's one of my strengths being able to look at a kid and sort of forecast where he can be in a year or two um, and he may not think that but giving him that belief um, that he can do it then you just have a bit of a plan on how you get there and that's just hard work and pushing them through Mm. through periods where they think they can't go anymore but they actually can mm. i think because you guys when you were at geelong you had a lot to do in that that leading team space didn't you would you would you say that was a, a pretty big moment in your career personally in terms of shifting that i guess understanding understanding the you know work time play time type of stuff or did it you know spark a spark that drive and spark that motivation and to to succeed individually but as a club as well i think so yeah it was definitely a a massive sort of period for the for myself and for the footy club as well it just sort of aligned aligned everybody up on what we're actually at the club for it was um i know for myself i always valued um, training standards and when you're at the club doing the right thing but it was when I was away from the club going out too much and breaking curfews and drinking rules and didn't I didn't realize the impact that was having on other players um, so I didn't really um, appreciate sort of the influence or negative influence I was having on a lot of these players and then I'd get to training and I was being really firm with all these guys that were sort of looking at me um, thinking you're out till 5, 6 a.m. on Saturday night and you're having a crack at me. So a bit of, bit of self-awareness around my leadership sort of styles as well, so it really helped with that. But just the honest conversations that we had started having with each other and um, we, start, we weren't all best mates, but we ended up respecting each other um, a lot more than before that leading team stuff coming in the door. I think it's a lot different now um, to what was said back then. We'd, <laughs> me, Moons and... And Gaz Jr. was sort of the first three and would be um, in the front of the group. There'd be chairs all around you and they'd just pretty much rip through you for half an hour saying all the, all the negative stuff that you were doing. I was, I was ready for it. I was sort of um, understood what I was doing wrong. I just didn't realise the effect it was having on people. So I wasn't sitting there shocked that they were saying all this stuff to me. Um, what I was doing wrong, it's just, yeah, I didn't understand the influence that I could have on others. So definitely changed my leadership sort of philosophies on I need to start um, sort of doing everything right to have a influence on the team and for us to become an, a great team instead of just being average. Did you see yourself as a natural leader early days? Uh, not really. I was, 
I was never, and even now, like um, I don't like being the centre of attention. Just um, always lead, led through actions more than um, sort of vocally. Um, sort of shied away from some leadership stuff as well. Like I was always reluctant to be vice captain, and uh, Bomber asked asked me to be captain when when Hals uh, had retired, and I was like, no way, I don't want to do that. Didn't want to do all the. I guess public speaking stuff with all the corporates and all that stuff. I just wanted to train and set the right example with with all that stuff. So, um, bit of a reluctant type leader, I guess you could say. Mm. Do you feel that that, like, as much as you probably see it as you know a reluctancy to to lead, or I guess being the public eye as a leader, do you feel that that's set the tone and has and has carried through to? where the cats are at the moment because I see and, and obviously you and I are both relatively close to, to my brother Mark and like he always talks about there's a, a group of people and it doesn't really matter who's you know got the captain's badge on their chest it's it's very much a, a lead by example type of culture now and like you look at training standards and you look at people holding each other accountable and doing things the right way do you think that I mean, you, we, we put it down to a leading teams thing, but there's probably an element of you just going, look, I, I'm respected amongst the group. People want me to, to step up and be a leader, but I'm not going to do it vocally. I'm going to show them how it's done. So they see someone like yourself, who, yeah, is leading by example as someone that's driving the club forward in the right way. Yeah, I think that's sort of... And it wasn't just me. There was, I think great clubs have so many different leaders and um, there's all all different types of, of leadership. Um, talking talking about your brother, like I'd, if I had a choice on who would be the Geelong captain, I would have your brother as, as skipper. Um, just for his, his balance with his off-field stuff and getting the boys together and then being able to rock up to training and just have that serious mindset and being able to train at an elite level, like that to me is almost the perfect leadership, but for others it's not. Um, and I guess you need five or six guys that can support the captain that aren't trying to fight for that captaincy role because I think that happened a little bit as I got to Geelong. I heard stories about five or six guys really going in, I want to be captain, I want to be this, pretty much for the title. So I think the really strong clubs, yes, they have the captain and he tosses the coin, but you have some great leaders underneath that bring their own own strengths. And what I think, I think your brother's like the perfect leader for me. That is, that's the perfect leader, but it mightn't be for someone else. Um, then you've got other guys with other leadership qualities. So um, there's all different types of leadership, um, but the, the best clubs sort of work together. And, I mean, it's only one guy really goes to toss the coin, but um, they have so many other good leaders at the club that lead in a different way. Mm. When you were, I guess, in the... I won't say in your heyday because that, that spanned a, a fair chunk of years, but when you were in that position where Bomber wanted you to, to step up and and you know put that badge on your chest so to speak like who else with when you speak about having five or six different leaders like who else was around you that that kind of set the tone but might have done it in different ways to yourself well Cameron Ling obviously took the took the job on was proven to be an unbelievable captain as well sort of similar to Mark in a way um, with his like unbelievable work ethic and his training standards but the ability to have a good time as well and, and bring people together I see I see them too um, as pretty sort of similar characters that 
are great leaders in their own right. Obviously, Joel Selwood um, was there as well, who's gone on to be proven as one of the greatest sort of leaders in Australian sport, really. So um, there's plenty of other guys. Joel Corey was there, Corey Enright. Um, Darren Milburn was a great leader. Didn't say a lot, but his actions as well, um, led with his actions. And a whole lot of guys that performed um, at their best when um, the club needed them most in the big game. So that, that's another type of leadership as well. So, um, yeah, I think the club's been lucky enough and probably the same now, like Tom Stewart um, could easily be captain. Your brother, Tom Atkins, there's a whole lot of guys. Mark O'Connor, um, terrific guy as well. And I think that's what the strong clubs have. They have many leaders that could be captain, but they all support the actual captain. I probably haven't made much sense there, but... Um, yeah, no, I'm, with you. I'm with you. You're with me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm with I've sort of gone. I'm thinking about this era now and the past, but there's been, I guess, what I'm trying to say um, for many years, it's six or seven guys that could have been Geelong's captain, mm. to put it simple. Because you got it, but you got to work towards a common goal, I think, in it. So, yeah, it's, it's a, probably a difference between wanting a position of leadership purely to say that you've got the position of leadership or you want a position of leadership because you know that you can help and you can help guide the the collective towards success yeah i think so there you go we, we got up. there in the we end i summed end. it up <laughs> we summed it up speaking of your brother i saw you kick a sharon in the gym the other day yep and you held it nice the ball spun perfectly how come your brother can't do that I saw you well, kick him. I'm not sure it's just a beautiful kick for a blitz halves. I just thought <laughs> maybe the whole family can't kick, but it must just be him. No, I'm not sure if you're quite aware of Mark's backstory, mate. He didn't play a lot of footy growing up, so you might have touched on I was kicked. Did you play a bit? Play no, a bit I didn't play. I didn't play a lot of so footy. You can but still I kick. like to think I'm just more naturally talented. Yeah, I can. They looked that way. <laughs> I was just shaking my head. But no, that's what happens when you go from Oz kick to AFL, mate. Still remember yeah. the time he. Um, took a kick in and kicked the footy straight to the opposition. And then when that stuff used to happen, well, the line coach would always get blamed. And you we were coming you down at three-quarter time then, and actually yeah. hadn't seen what happened. Yep. And then I got in trouble about, why are you letting Blitz take the kick-ins? And I was like, yeah, right. That was my idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, great. Just a great, one of the best persons I've ever coached, your brother. Just an unbelievable, um, obviously a great story, but just... Um, the person he is around the club and as a leader, just, yeah, you wouldn't find a better one. Mm. No, he's, um, he is, I, I am, I'm, you know, we, we talk rubbish about each other pretty often, but, but I, and I, I tell him I'm openly, I'll openly tell him how proud I am of yeah. him. And, you know, every time, it's funny, every time he's played over 200 games now. Yeah. And, you know, won best and fairest and all Australians and premierships as well. Yeah. Like, and every time I see him on the TV, with the hoops on like it's still like his first VFL game and I'm yeah. just pinching myself I was like man I can't believe that that's so yeah. cool um, just sort of the ultimate team player like go and do that for the team yep and then go and do that that and he just makes it look very easy as well like it's mm. incredibly hard the things that he does but he makes it look pretty easy and most of it's because of the mindset mm. I can do that I'm willing to do that it is, it's a funny thing mindset isn't it like and you've probably come across players who have you know, you can the moment they walk into the club or the moment they walk into the room, you're like, "Yep, yeah, I can, I can pick holes in you mentally." Yeah. Like you can see, you can see gaps in their mindset. You can see who's going to be hard work, who's going to be easy, who's going to be team first guys, who's yeah. going to be individuals. Like, yeah. 
Those how, how do you low maintenance guys like him? They just they, most of them it starts with their work ethic, and they just have an appetite to um, just do the work, and then want to do more work on top of the work that the club gives them. That's sort of what sets those really good players apart. They do, yeah, the club program plus more. They want to do more. Mm. Um, and he's yeah, appetite to, to do the work and be able to do the work and then still want more. How do you deal with the individuals? How do you deal with individuals? Um, you mean? Like, as in those that are, that are there to say, <coughs> like, yeah, I've, I've made an AFL list. I've made it Like as long as I go out and get my 25, 30 touches a game, kick a couple of goals. It's <coughs> still a challenge, I think, for me because obviously well, everybody and every coach would um, obviously like the low-maintenance um, sort of team team orientated players so I guess that that's, that's the challenging part of coaching which I guess I'm still learning and how to deal with those players I guess you've got to let them have a bit of freedom as well you do need as Stevie Johnson would say you do need match winners um, in your team and Stevie's like an interesting um, case study for all that talking about the leading team stuff and sort of we used to see Stevie sort of having shots from the boundary line and sort of what I used to think was sort of pretty selfish acts in a game. We nearly got in a couple of punch-ons um, over that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until I started talking to Stevie and building those that relationship with Stevie, and he would talk about, he thought that's what the team sort of wanted from him. He thought, you know, we wanted to see all these mercurial snaps from the boundary and all these match-winning efforts. That's what he thought. That's That was his mindset going out into games, and it wasn't until... We actually started talking about maybe we want to see you do this and that and that other stuff will happen because you're a brilliant player. So that was really interesting to sort of... Um, we didn't have a great relationship. We do now and we sort of mended that over, you know, what do we want from each other out on the ground? And um, it was interesting that Stevie would say that. He would say, I, th- I thought you guys wanted me to do this. I thought that's... Every time he ran out, he would think, got to kick goal of the year. You know, that's what my teammates wanted. But it, it certainly wasn't and... Um, yeah, it was an interesting little case study, I guess you could call. Mm. Don't know if that made sense either, mate, but it was <laughs> <laughs> no, flying it, it off in like, a, all different type of things here, mate, but yeah. No, but the thing I'm taking out of all this is that, and it's so funny because it, it applies to every single work of life, walk of life, yeah. but like, communi- like it's, it's a little saying, right, that I've got. I like to say communication makes the world go round, right, but from what I'm picking up here, it, it all comes down to your, A, your willingness and B, your ability to communicate to other people yep. and communicate in a way that's that's respectful, um, you know, direct and not personal yep. almost. Like like you've got to, especially if you're in a, in a setting where you need to achieve something, yep. like it's got to be... Well, what are we here for? We're here to win. We're here to succeed. We're here to achieve greatness, that kind of thing. All right, well, this is what I need from you yep. in order for us as a collective to do that. Like, I think that's when you land in the, the perfect spot in a team environment. I reckon you can sort of have, you can sort of say whatever you like, really, and you know it's coming from the right place and people are taking the feedback the right way. That, you know, if Blitz is saying something really firm with me, that I can just understand where he's coming from. Mm. Um, he's coming from a team perspective. I respect him respect what he's saying and you're not best mates with everybody I don't think you can be um, but you certainly respect them and yeah when you land in that position we can have those hard conversations off the field and on the field I think that's when your your team's in a really good position mm. I think it's um, 
yeah it's it's a it's a skill it's a skill that needs work too like you see people who need to have and i'm working on it every day as well like like trying to find you know you find situations where you're like i need to have a direct discussion with somebody and i'm like oh this is going to be awkward i don't know how to approach this and yeah it's it's something that i continue to work on every day and i'm like all right well i need to need to raise this point for this reason it's not going to be personal it's just going to be direct i'm comfortable i guess in myself enough to receive feedback and i think once you're comfortable enough to be able to take feedback then it becomes a little bit easy to give it yeah i think because you know you know who you are as a person yourself and you know you can you're aware of yourself enough to know that yeah cool i'll stuff that i'll stuff this up or i haven't done this well or yeah. i don't do this well well like i don't think the sun shines out my ass so i'm all right with taking feedback because yeah. i know that it's coming from a good place from the people that i care about yeah so i think you're faced with that stuff every day with coaching really like what do i say to him should i say it to him and if you do say it to him you know did i use the right words because every single word's really important how you word it analyzing it the next day should i've said that should i wait till next week when's the right time I think there's it just sort of never stops as a coach all those decisions that you have to make and obviously you make a lot of mistakes along the way some of the things that i said five six years ago i'll sort of cringe a little bit now mm. um and then learning i think the big thing for me just i'm not a patient guy i want things now i'm really direct just having that ability um just to slow things down slow your decisions down you don't need to make decisions all the time don't need to change it immediately you need a fair bit of patience because you can't change um, some things with players overnight it takes it takes some months and maybe a year to sort of build and change um, habits and performance so still not amazing with patience I just just a real I guess weakness of mine as a coach I think you got to be you got to be firm and want things now but have a bit of patience as well mm. um, what, what do you like with that I, it's it's funny because I spent years and years teaching as well before getting into the strength and conditioning space and then getting into the more the the basketball coaching space as well. So I think that was that was something that teaching taught me um, is that that ability to communicate the importance of of building you know positive, genuine, safe relationships. Um, I don't do well with incompetence. I don't. Do, I am similar to you, where I'm. I'm an impatient person, and if I'm very much one of those guys that if you want something done well, do it yourself. Yeah. Like I'm. I just. Yeah. I, I'll just take it upon myself and just do it because I'm of the opinion that nobody's going to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. So yeah. I'll just do it myself. Um, and then from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, like if I see, like if I see our kids at, at school stuff up a drill that I've directed, my first instinct isn't to spray the kids. It's to look at, I guess, look within and go, all right, well, what could I have done differently from a communication standpoint yep. to make that drill run better? And then if it's gotten to the point where I'm like, look, I, I've because I've I've been in situations where it's tested me, right? I've done it. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't explain this any any simpler yeah like i've i've checked all the boxes i can't i can't simplify this anymore for these kids so then it goes all right well i'll just go over and one-on-one and get them to talk me through it what do you understand like oh yeah here i go here i run here i cut there i pass here like 
and then a challenge too, isn't it? In a team sport, every, everybody learns different. Yeah, exactly everybody. right. So you've got to find a way to to address the collective, and then you know check the understanding of the individual as well. Like it's it is tricky, and it's an art to be able to do it quickly. Like you know whether it's asking questions or seeking feedback or giving feedback or sometimes it's just as simple as like well were you listening and then like if they if you've got that relationship with them they should be comfortable enough to go oh no i wasn't listening it's like all right cool here's the detail again got it yep sweet and then they execute it fine and you're like beautiful it was just that so i mean i think when it comes down to it for me anyway like it's it is building genuine relationships and getting to know the people you're working with and yeah i mean if you think back at your time in the footy club as well and football land and or shit in life like everything comes down to the relationships you got with people yeah like because that's where trust comes from that's where love comes from that's where respect comes from like i mean if you've got those those things within your relationship then communication so much easier and then you can you can work together to achieve a common goal. It doesn't matter whether it's in a team sport environment or a relationship or you know husband, wife, family. Like if you're like your common goal as a family might be to raise kids well, right? We want our kids to be doing this, so you need to communicate with each other really really well to make sure that happens. And if there's trust and there's love and there's respect amongst that relationship, well then you can get it done. But like the principles behind that doesn't change in the setting you're in like you look at us as a as a department at western heights like there's respect there there's trust there and as a, as a common goal there so because of that we coexist really really well and we achieve every day that we step foot on the footy field or the basketball yep. court or and then you break it down into our basketball department your footy department the netball the soccer like everyone's on the same page but there's a level of respect there between us because we know what we're doing and we know that we're, we're working towards achieving a common goal, I think. So, Sum that up beautifully, mate. Well, I was about to say, that I was like, great. I don't know if that made sense. No, that did, like that's that a pretty really common good. theme here. Yeah. <laughs> Questioning whether yeah. we're actually making any yeah. sense with what we're talking about. But I think you can tell like when you go into a new job, like the people that care, and there's so many people here that, that care a lot about the, the students, I think. It's mm. a great, great place to work. It is, it is. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your legend status of the Geelong Football Club. Now they don't that doesn't get handed out handed out every day. That's not one of these things where it's not like an All Australian or a you know, a, a Brownlow like I think once you get anointed with legend status, that's that's arguably, you know, like Trump's premierships or best and fairest or I think because it's within a club that you care so much about and from people that you care so much about like how was that for you when you kind of got the tap on the shoulder and was like oh this is what we're thinking um it probably sounds like I don't know a little bit I don't know if it sounds disrespectful um it's like the the brown lows and stuff I just don't don't get a lot of joy or satisfaction from those things like even obviously got a great um, special place for the club. Um, it's a big deal. Like there's only 20 odd people in that. Obviously, been a lot of footballers have played at the Cat. So um, other people sort of think it's a bigger deal than I think. It's hard to sum up. Just those things don't. So I got in the uh, AFL Hall of Fame as well, and 
like it didn't really do much for me. Mm. Um, it probably speaks more to your, you know, your humility and the reason why you played the game in the first place, though. Like it, absolutely, yeah. It's not like about the, you. I played two eighty-four games, and a lot of people say you you're disappointed you didn't play three hundred. Like I couldn't give a shit. Mm. Sort of just a number. I played to win premierships, won three, so pretty content with with that stuff. So those things just didn't. They just sort of did nothing for me. Mm. That's why I sort of have a hard time people that get so worked up about the Brownlow or like individual things I just don't get it I just completely anti that side of it mm. even yeah the coming from a from the club like the club that I love you're in the legend status I'm just like sort of didn't really want to go and get it mm. it's 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 funny that I mean I understand it too like I'm very very much like you in terms of hate being the center of attention like would rather just just go about my business and help you know help people succeed and help the person standing next to me succeed yeah and then it's not for the perfect example right and this 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 is going to sound silly but in our building all of our all the coaches have got their posters up yeah because it's an advertising ploy or whatever it is like every coach has got their own little profile floating around the building somewhere stuck on windows and on yep. walls and that kind of thing and after our open night i actually went the very next morning came in and took all of mine down and rolled them up they're tucked in my drawer <laughs> they're tucked in my drawer in my desk now. You went up there. yeah exactly like they were but they were up there for all of eight hours and then down off the wall yeah. rolled them up tucked them in the drawer and that's exactly where they're staying yeah. because I don't know it's just not it's just not me like it's yeah I think I'd much rather just work work away in the background and if as a collective we succeed then I'm like perfect of my my little role that I've played has helped in that collective success yeah. and I'm happy with them that's that's going to mean more to me than you know if someone goes oh yeah you did a great job at this or yeah. this is all your work I'm like it's not like there's there's yeah. it takes a million people to to also like even when i played and carried it through like i never really needed the pat on the back to say you'd, you've done well done this and that it was always like a battle with myself and sort of look in the mirror and sort of always understood if i'd done the right thing or not mm. and if i was looking at myself and i'd done the right thing that's all i needed not mm. accolades or anyone else saying well done yeah it's funny that isn't it um yeah, definitely food for thought, that's for sure. <laughs> um, all right, out of your three premierships, you absolutely torched Port Adelaide in 07. St Kilda in 2009 was the closest of all of them, wasn't it? And then It was, yeah. yeah. Ele- who did, Collingwood in 11? Collingwood in 11, what yeah. What did you win that by? Uh, that was comfortable in the end. It was like six goals. Yeah. Sort of tightish game up until the third, sort of third late in the third quarter but all sort of very different like that first one it was just a massive massive moment for the for the whole town because all the the town had witnessed all the sort of losing grand finals in the 90s and I grew up here so I realized sort of the pressure that we're under they just thought we're going to sort of fall in a heap so we're under clearly the best team but we're under that much pressure going into the finals that year because I'd even sort of my mates and everyone around Geelong and so you boys will lose just like you know the teams before you and 
Um, absolutely dominated the first final. We beat North by 100-odd points. Um, really good prelim final. Collingwood challenged us. We only just won by a goal. I reckon Brad Ottens and Gaz Senior, Joel Corey Smother sort of got us got us past that. Um, quite often that prelim's the hardest to to sort of win because your eyes are looking towards next week and mm. you're looking a little bit ahead of, ahead of where you should be. Um, and then we just blew Port Adelaide off the park. Like, everything just went right that day. Everyone played well. Um, and then it was just, we didn't really know what to do after the game. The town was going nuts. There was riots through the city. Um, can't really remember much of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the only time I didn't really listen to Bomber. He said after the game, because he'd won a few flags, he goes, don't drink too much, boys. You want to remember remember the next few days. It's the best few days of your life. I certainly didn't listen to him. <laughs> um, and then, really disappointing, 2008, we were the best team in it by a long way that year. And um, I think we fell into the trap of just trying to win every game by so much that we sort of got towards the end of the year. We weren't in great shape. We think we played a few players that were injured in that grand final. I think Chappie and Stokesy were probably shouldn't have been out there. We weren't playing great. Um, one of my big regrets, I still think about the losing grand final more than the winning ones. Just, I think about that Hawthorne grand final every day. Um, and sort of regrets along the way. I don't reckon we're playing great team footy going into the finals and there's a bit of we'll be right attitude. Because this was all the, I guess, the leading team's turning point, if you want to put it that way. That was, was that the back end of 2006? It was, yeah. That was, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yep. 2006, um, the end of that sort of pre-season going into 07. Yeah. So you've, you've done that. You've You've managed to you know build that real or kind of shift that culture into that real sort of team first genuine conversations yeah like that's the disappointing part of not mm. doing anything about it i was about to yeah. say yeah like so where did just you, a bit of arrogance too success? i think a bit of arrogance and um just like a she'll be right attitude going into the finals should have done more about it we, we just weren't playing um great team football we're a very unselfish team we're um, just sort of went away from like our values and what we really stood for going into the finals and it just come back to bite us grand final day mm. um, had, a, had a few players um, go away from, from their roles and play a bit of a selfish game we started having shots from the boundary then we started missing some goals and the pressure just just built and built um, and then just yeah, obviously got rolled by Hawthorne we were 10 goals better than Hawthorne mm. um, really good lesson I was going to say, do you feel like it was the loss you had to have? It's a hard one to think of that, mm. you know, when it's that big, the loss you had to have. But I know, I know what you're saying. It certainly helped us the year after. Mm. Um, pretty resilient group and a really hungry group to um, sort of learn lessons for the next year. So um, St Kilda were probably the most dominant team in 2009 in the home and away season and we were just behind them. Um, but certainly learned some lessons going into the finals and really confident that um, we'd be able to make up for the year before and we were lucky enough to get into the grand final. Um, really tight game against a great team, St Kilda, coached by Ross Lyon. Um, had really good players, but even like he does now, he, he'd get his role players to play really important, um, I guess, roles for the team. So they were really hard to play against. And... Just the best quarter of footy that I've ever played in, just that last quarter. Every contest was um, do or die. It was just contest, contest, really scrappy. 
um, and just had just ultimate belief that we're going to get over the line and we were lucky enough to, to win by a couple of goals. Um, but that, that's the best, most fun quarter or 30 minutes of footy mm. that I've ever played in. Just every contest had a big consequence. How, and I know you, you like to think that you're, when you're in those situations, you're 100% focused and you understand the job at hand and you, you're not thinking of anything else except what you need to do. But was there moments in, like, say, three-quarter time in that 09 grand final when you're like, oh, this is, you know, a true arm wrestle and this could go either way? Like, Didn't were you, think it at all. No, were no. you thinking back to 2008? Yeah, and that, that's what was spoken about Yeah, in the huddle. We just spoke, and Bomber spoke before the boys just had a chat, just we're just not going to, we're just not going to lose this one. And I, yeah. I knew we weren't going to lose. Now, it's easy to say when you don't lose it but yeah. I didn't think this could go either way I just it's just contest contest just had, and I just had ult, the ultimate belief that everybody else was going to do do their job as well do you reckon had you no would have doubt. been thinking that way had you had you won 08 it's an interesting question I'm not sure I'd like to think that we would have been thereabouts because we were a really hungry group like even after 07 would have been easy to like we've won a flag now it's mm. you know and we certainly had a good time but we had great training standards as well. Like we come back pretty good condition and we just wanted to get better. Had a, a lot of competitive competitive players that um, I guess we're going, almost going into the prime. So um, I'd like to think if we won seven and eight, we still would have been really good in 09. Whether or not we would have been able to get over St. Kilda is an unknown because losing 08 definitely helped us win 09. Yeah, yeah, yeah Definitely yeah, helped sure. us. Um, you talk quite a bit about training standards, right? This is probably going to be one of the most simplest questions we will have the Savo. What are your training standards? What are they? Yeah. Like when you think about, oh, they, their training standards are outstanding. outstanding. Yeah. Like, like what do For you say? For me, it's just intensity standards? and execution, really. Just I expect game-like intensity and almost above game-like execution. Um I guess uh, that's probably it really. Like it's hard to describe. Um, just didn't tolerate, um, I guess, mental errors as well. Like if you should be there, you should be there. You're gonna be there. Had a stoppage, if you're meant to be there, you should be there. Opposition to kicking the ball in, you're meant to be there. I guess the, the, they say it a lot now, just doing your job. I think Bill Belichick sort of says that a lot. It was just that, just do your job. Mm. You expect to do that. I expect you to do that, so so yeah. get it done. And if you don't, you'll hear about it. Mm. I think I was in speaking to Mark. That was a big big theme around where the cats are at the moment. Like they're treated like adults and they're treated like professional athletes, and they're not they're not, I guess, babied. Yeah, it's not like well, I don't have to hold your hand on this one. Like yeah, this is your role. This is what you're expected to do. Yeah. Just, just do it. it. And if you're not just doing do it properly, it, yeah. well then yeah, well you'll either hear about it or we'll just fill someone fill the spot yeah. with someone that will. So. When we were at our absolute best, our training sessions were harder than games. Bomber and Macca would set it up um, to make it harder harder during the week than it is to, to, on game day. So you wouldn't get to a Saturday and be in complete shock about all these scenarios and what's happening. We'd, we would train it. Um, and just, yeah, a lot of competitive guys that hated losing. So it was really edgy, mm. really edgy environment. It's good. Um, a few little punch-ons at training. Stevie and Chappie would always get in a bit of a bit of a blues. They were sort of forward half players competing 
who's the best forward half player, who's kicking goals, who's giving the assists. So they had a bit of a competition. The back line, we were really, really close-knit unit, but really hard on each other as well. Um, just, yeah, yeah, the training sets, I'd say intensity and execution. Train at your absolute best, give, give your all and execute when you need to execute. Because mm. I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, people bang on about training standards and go, oh, you know, we've got to train like professionals. But I don't think anyone's actually put a name to it. Yep. Like, it's like, this is what's expected. Sorry, this is what is expected. These are our training standards. Yep. Like, you need to train at a high level. And it's like, all right, well, how do I do that? Yeah. Like, and, even in and, your preparation as well. I know the night before your main training, it was like, prepare like it was a game. Mm. That, that was the mindset. Get yourself ready for for main training. Don't just rock in and expect that you're going to train well. You need to you need to prepare for, for that session um, with the same mindset that it's that's a game. It's as important as as the game. Your preparation because the 2011 season was that was the one. Because I remember us talking earlier. Um, you that was the season you left it all on the table, wasn't it? Like you kind of walked into that sort of preseason yeah. day one. It's like, all right, I'm gonna couldn't have done any more in preparation or mindset. The whole that my whole life was dedicated to winning that flag in 2011. Couldn't have, and I was pretty. I'd say I was elite in the other years, but you know, diet, alcohol it was just. I'm not touching that because that's the goal, and I'm just gonna gonna get there. Mm. and it probably cooked me going into the next year I was real flat the next sort of pre-season and um, just then almost I retired end of that year and I sort of knew I was going to retire at the start of 2012 I reckon I just put that much um, pressure on myself and pressure on um, the result but it was the the day-to-day stuff just couldn't have done any more and got got the reward so certainly no regrets about that but um like personal best skin folds. I was 32 years old, PBs in the gym, just everything. Yep. Just got after it. Um, there's a bit of motivation too. Obviously, Bomber had left and then Macca. Macca had left, who obviously great mentor and great coach. Um, and Gaz had left as well. So there's a little bit of sort of up yours mentality mm. for all those guys, you know. I was going to say, what was the what was the driving force behind that? Like, what made you sort of roll out to bed in the morning and go, all right, I'm, I'm leaving no stone unturned Started this year. in the prelim. Collingwood smacked us in the in the prelim, yeah, prelim final the year before and just completely embarrassed us. And I just had that feeling I'm just not going not gonna to be embarrassed like this ever again on a footy field. So I remember walking off the ground then already thinking about the next year. Um, usually you're thinking about where you're going to be heading out that night after your last game, but I was thinking, got to get better. Still had all these great players, but we just needed to get better. Needed to change a few things with how we're playing. Um, but the drive, yeah, drive was still well and truly there. And just had that belief that we could do it. Starts mm. with that. Mm. What are the major, because to end of 2010 is when, like you said, Bomber left and, and Macca left and... Gaz left and um, and Scotty came on board then. What would you say are the major differences in coaching style between Bomber and, and Scotty now? Um, it was different. So the Bomber started when we were all sort of young kids coming through. So he took a whole bunch of young guys, club, 
culture, no good. Um, young guys that hadn't hadn't made it yet, so we're all coming through at the same time. So he, he pretty much started the club off from scratch. Like the club was rooted pretty much when he rocked up. The debt, no good, but on field, Port had no culture at all really. Selfish, probably a selfish culture it did, mm. did have. Spoke about it before, players sort of fighting to be captain, I want the title. Um, and a whole heap of young guys, draftees. So he got to teach us how to play footy all at once. Um, and the whole time he spoke about, I'm going to train you guys up to play football that stands up in finals. And that was contested footy, outnumbering all the all the terms that everyone uses now. Started with with Bomber. Um, so I guess really tough position, but a really great position to be in as a coach. A young coach with a young sort of young squad that would sort of do anything that he asked to do of us. So he, he was a real father figure for a lot of us. Um, just a, an unbelievable coach, didn't waver. Talk about being patient. He was really patient with us, with um, sort of our off-field behavior and um, could have been, he was firm with our football stuff. Like he wouldn't waver really high standards with his training stuff, but he sort of let us grow and make mistakes off the field. Um, to I guess when he leaves club set premiership superstars all over the park um, really strong culture but um, then getting a new voice in I think as hard as it was when Bomber leaves because he's sort of the only coach that you sort of know you love him you get a new coach in but it was, it was the right time I think obviously Bomber's had his issues and um, getting a, a fresh voice in then you sort of have to earn, earn Chris's respect as well now so sort of spark us old boys up, new coach, we better come back in great condition again. Um, what does he think of me, all this stuff? So definitely come at a right time. And then obviously he's been proven to be a really good coach mm. as well. So really different coaches. Um, we, we, had to, we changed our game style a fair bit from 10 to 11, less handball, more kick. Um, and I, I just think coaching now is just a lot different to obviously what it was when Bomber arrived. Mm. Um, the club was obviously yeah, not in a great position um, when he got there, but um, having a, a hungry group of young guys come through at the same time um, and build the club up. Obviously, the club meant a lot to all of us players there. We didn't really get players in from other clubs. So Brad Ottens, I reckon, was pretty much the only one. So I reckon quite often you get players from other clubs. They're unsure of the culture. Um, the dynamics sort of changed a little bit. We just had a whole group of, of sort of young, hungry players that wanted to do right by the club mm. and wanted to do right by our coach. So, yeah, different sort of different times with the coaching, very different coaches. Mm. I think that's the beauty of it too. Like, And coaching is one of these things that, that the more I do it, the <laughs> the more I realise I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I think but that's, the, that's the beauty in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think if you're if you're comfortable enough with the fact that you've got no idea what's going on, but you're yep. willing to learn, yeah, then you'll take every win as yeah, cool. Here's a bit of a pat on the back. Yeah, there's still things you can tweak, and every loss is like, all right, well that didn't work. Let's yep. find something else. It's it's just a constant series of of learning and problem solving and yep. relationship building, and it's. I think it's it's the part of coaching that I really enjoy. Like I enjoy the you know, having to think through things. I enjoy the, the learning process behind it. And 
I mean, you strike me as someone that's probably in the same boat in terms of, of just almost being hooked on that 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 feeling of having to work things out constantly. Yeah. Like I think yeah, you certainly do. Even like the things that have happened today, where you, you sort of analyse it tonight. Have you done the right thing? How's he reacted? What's he going to be like tomorrow? Um, constant sort of decision making and questioning yourself, analysing your decisions. Um, but it, it is great. It, it is rewarding when you get it right and you see the kids come through and mm. develop. And um, like you said before, just have building those relationships with the kids because you care about them. And um, but you're constantly questioning yourself. Mm. No doubt about that. You're never walking away thinking you've nailed your oh. day's coaching. You're just like, should I have said that? Did I word it right? What's he going to be like when he goes home? Have I gone too hard? Should I have said more to him? He looked like he didn't understand the drill, didn't explain it right, all that stuff. Mm. <laughs> I think if you go home thinking, yeah, I, I knocked that out of the park, then oh, for me, if I, if I ever do that, I'm like, oh, that, I'm... I start to worry that I'm, all right, am I in the right spot? Yeah. Like the moment you think you've made it, then there's that desire to improve is no longer there. Yeah. Then you're like, all right, you need to go find something else to do. Yeah. Because you're not gonna, you'll get found out pretty quick. But um, we talked about like we talked about developing great culture, and you said you know when you were playing, um, the forwards were competing and the back line the back six that you were a key part of were really 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 close and i see you know back when you were a line coach and obviously with a bit more of a unique insight into the geelong footy club even through mark as well um the misfits came about i think given the fact that there was just a bunch of people in that back in that back line that came from a bunch of different backgrounds um talk us through how you know i guess where was the sit down that happened it's like all right boys this is this is how we're going to be known now like where did so that what happened from? i remember when i said it it wasn't pre-planned or i don't know even know how the word just sort of popped up but we had quite a few injuries at that time i reckon harry taylor was sort of injured tommy lonegan andrew mackey was still playing and i think a few of our key guys were out and the media was sort of starting to write some stuff you know the weakness of this team is going to be the back line because he's out, he's out. Hadn't heard of Jack Henry yet or Mark O'Connor, all these sort of guys that weren't household names. Um, so I sort of use that as a bit of motivation to give them a bit of belief that we can sort of use that to our advantage a bit. And I just said it with just a bunch of misfits. Um, I remember when I said it, yeah, didn't plan it and then it just stuck and then it sort of grew legs and... Um, I think, I think the back line's really interesting. I know the other parts of the ground are, are really important to have connection, and but I think that's the one part of the ground um, that is more important than the others. And I'm not saying that's right either. That's just what I think. Having that trust and that belief and if things are breaking down there and there, we're, we're the last guys in line here that can save, save the day for the team. Mm. So I, I think the back line needs to be a tight... You know, we were at Geelong, we... We were great mates off the field. We had that much fun together. Um, overdid it many times, many, many times, but I don't regret it at all, just the, the bonds and some of the nights out with Dasher and Boris and Rookie. 
um, Tom Harley, Brenton Sanderson that didn't play in the flags but was a key part of of that culture. We would do anything for each other mm-hmm. off field and found ourselves in some sticky situations off field but get there on Monday and talk about it, laugh about it and then form that incredibly strong bond. So that was my experience with it all. So just passing that down to, I guess, the next wave of, of Geelong defenders. And they're obviously a really tight, tight, close-knit group. And I think yet yeah, you have to have that to be a successful team. That's just a really strong belief of mine. Mm. Um, and I think the boys do it, do it well. They get together and have a good time, led by your brother and Tom Atkins. I just think they do it the right way. Mm. No, it's it was cool. Just like, I mean, hearing about your experience early, early days, going from the brink of giving giving the game away before you'd even step foot on an yeah. AFL ground. I think it would have been sacked more than given it away. I think that's. <laughs> I was thinking I was going to just be gone, gone ski. Yeah, but you, you, <laughs> you talk about that and and just needing needing that belief, like someone to just go. It's all right, like. You're, you're here for a reason we, yeah. we've got belief in what you're doing and then like you said when you've got your your key key cogs of that back six that are out by injury or whatever and you're like all right well and you might not have realized it at the time but then you go well yeah we are just a bunch of misfits but you said that in, in a way that you're like well this is going to give you the belief that i needed way back when for you to come together as a group and and succeed and, and win and achieve together like I think it was easier because I actually did believe it. You know what I mean? I wasn't mm. just putting a spin on it, mm. which makes it easier. Yeah, I, for sure. I had great confidence that Jack Henry was going to be a really good player. And um, Zach Guthrie, it's taken him a little bit longer, but had great confidence. Mark O'Connor, the first time I ever saw him kick a ball, he was trialling with me and Paul Hood before he'd sign anywhere. And I was just, I just knew he was going to be a good player. Mm. So I, it's easier to say that stuff when you actually do have belief in in what they're doing and it was an opportunity for sort of these new guys and sort of loved coaching the young untried guys and guiding them through the situations but I did have genuine belief that were going to be a great unit because mm. I could just see that um, very there were a lot of similarities with our our era that they'd enjoyed each other's company they're really tight they'd have a beer together but they'd train train really well mm. um, which is which is really important how important is that off-field aspect to surviving? I guess in in professional sport, like oh, you think about crucial. the you think about the getting together with your mates post game or yep. on a weekend or on an off day, and then not only that, but you know, given the professional environment the AFL is now, like being able to kind of just get away for two, three, four months. Yep. I know when the season finishes, Mark goes AWOL until Christmas. Yeah. Like we genuinely don't see him, we don't yeah. hear from him. He just just drops off the drops off the face yeah. of the earth until for the. It's a huge release months. at the end of the season. It's like the pressure's sort of just off, mm. um, and then obviously incredible when you when you win the flags. I, I just think just being able to socialise um, with your teammates is really important. Now they can't do it as much now, like going out as we could with all the social media and and cameras and stuff. But they do it smarter. Go around to someone's house and have a beer together. Otherwise, you're just sort of sitting at home by yourself and thinking about thinking about footy. I would think about footy a fair bit. Um, so, I, yeah, I wouldn't have survived if I wasn't able to go and have a blowout, go out with your mates and have a great night. 
then obviously you've got to train as well, like having the ability just to front up and do the work as well. Mm. Um, but it's just the stories as well on the Monday, you end up, always ended up sort of out with someone that you weren't close with and something had happened that would bring you together. It's amazing how often, like you'd have a club function, you'd end up out with, you know, some of the guys you didn't have great relationships with and something funny would happen and you'd got that story and connection with them mm. for, for the rest of the year and you're talking about it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when you're probably not talking to them a lot. Mm. Yeah, crucial, I think, to have that high-pressure game. You need to you need to be able to relax and have a good time. Be mm. human. Mm. Human first, professional athlete second. Yeah, for sure. I think it's... It's funny you mentioned the pressure. Like so many people, I don't think understand the pressure of being a professional athlete. Like you see it in in social media is just a oh mate, it's it's the worst. It brings out the worst in people. Like you see anything in it, and doesn't really matter. Like it could be you know nothing personal. Like it could just be the Geelong Footy Club posting on their Instagram account the result of a game that you lost. And then it just the floodgates open, and it's like, oh yeah, like Blues is no good, or yeah. Scarlet's no good, or what are we picking them for? Yeah, and different times. Oh. Well, footy looks easy when you're watching, mm. watching on tally, or you're watching from level two. You can see all the space. Like footy looks simple when you're watching it, but mm. it's a bloody tough game. Yeah, tough I think game it- to play, and you need you need a release. You need to be able to get together, and so much good can come from having a beer. I'll, so strong in that with mm. your teammates for sure and I think it's like and you can see the development around the edges of an AFL club now like in terms of well-being staff and player yep. development managers and yep. psychologists and nutritionists and like it's nice to see that um, I guess not only the league but clubs in itself kind of understand the fact that it is such a high pressure environment yep. like they don't just just brushed away yeah like i think having that level of support around the edges and you know as coaches as well like especially at the junior level like sometimes people just need someone to just kind of put their arm around and go it's all right like yeah this is normal yeah yeah and and you can do this and you know you've got you've got more in the tank you've got more to give like because we like and it comes down to that belief again like we believe in you to be able to succeed like yep. and sometimes it's just it's just that for that switch to flick upstairs and they're like and they go and achieve something off their own back yep. like well that, yeah he was right you got it done I think the rugby league do it well and they're a bit old school like you see in the rooms after the game and I've been up at the Melbourne Storm they have a really good sort of hour hour and a half two hours might creep into the third or fourth hour up there sometimes but there's beers there and they're really celebrating it like and I reckon the AFL are getting better at that um, just allowing the players to have a beer and see the families come in and you work so hard all week like Monday review players a massage train this into the next opposition like you're trying to win on the Saturday and you're going hard to get the result you need a bit of a reward mm-hmm. I reckon at the end of the week just you know a couple of beers and you, you know get the energy and excitement you've worked hard you've got the win like celebrate it a little bit now you don't have to go over the top but just gets the, um, don't know, the motivational levels go up a little bit. You just get a little reward. Mm. So Do you reckon that we was... get a bit stale? We just like AFL, you all all week, then you win, 
end of the game, physios are coming in, ice, blah, 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 then it's a sight. All right, we're playing them next week. You don't don't get any reward for it, you know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, just having yeah. a couple of beers. Rugby league do it really well. See them singing, carrying on a bit. Sit in the rooms with your mates, have a few beers. Like, how good is that? Yeah, yeah. And it might, it's not just after wins. It's obviously losses as well. You want to be pretty consistent. But you have a win, you know, you should be up and about a bit. Mm. Sing the song, have a few beers and then... See what happens. See you Monday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you reckon that was kind of what led to, I guess, the start of 2012? You're going, nah, I'm, I'm done. Like it got through, you were so locked in throughout 2011. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, because after, like post games, there wouldn't have been any of that. Like, nah. you were. Nah, I reckon you, I'd probably drank sort of twice that year, I reckon. Mm. Now, do you reckon that was the, like, you oh, got. 100%. Because you sort of. You sort of know when you're done. I was like physically, it wasn't too bad. Had a bit of a back issue. Um, and the club were really good. They sort of wanted me to play the 300 games, and I was sort of didn't motivate me at all. I was mentally done on the bus going to. Um, I've heard other players talk about this as well. I reckon we were in Adelaide or something on the bus from the hotel driving to the game. You're driving past pubs, and I was like, I'd rather be in there than going to a game to play. So as soon as, as, soon as I'd, I'd lose my edge or a bit of motivation, it was sort of, I know I'm done. Mm. So yeah. no point hanging on. And I just sort of knew at the start of that year that I was worn out mentally. I was just sick of it. Wanted to do something different. So I played local footy, get that, have a beer after game. You can sort of relax and the socialising and all that stuff. Mm. Had a great time doing that. But mentally gone before the body. Yeah, I was... I was a bit the same just with last year like in basketball I reckon I got about halfway through the season I'm like nah um, just the love for the game had gone the passion had gone the the drive to kind of you know the drive to get better had gone yeah. and I was just nah, little was, shortcuts too mine was like recovery instead of doing recovery I'll just go home mm, yeah for sure sort of first time in like 15 years I was driving to the club and sort of didn't really want to go just mm. thought I'd I'd rather be doing something else. So it's funny that the mind just sort of just completely yeah. shut down on me. Like they always talk about the the physical versus the mental, and like sport in general is such. Everyone puts so much emphasis on the physical aspect of it. Like you see these, you know, AFL guys rocking around with their shirts off, and you're like, "Geez, have a look at them. what an absolute physical specimen." Yeah. Or swimmers, or gymnasts, or basketballers. Like it doesn't really matter. They could be absolute physical weapons, right? But if the mind's not there and the desire to maintain your elite training standards yeah. and the desire to do all the little things and even just the enjoyment, like once the enjoyment goes, yeah. like you're not going to get, doesn't matter how much of a physical specimen they are, yeah. you're not going to be able to get the most out of them. Like yeah. it's, it's something that has always intrigued me in terms of just like the mental performance side of sport. Yeah. Like I think it's really, it's really, really fascinating. Sort of drives like the good, the good and the great is this the mindset, mm. how they think about things and ability to move on from mistakes, all that kind of thing. Mm. The mindset is the difference between good and the great. For sure, sort of similar skill levels, but just the mind, amazing. Yeah. Um, we'll look to look to start to wrap this up, mate. Um, what do you want to do now, moving forward? Like you've you've had a incredible career where you've 
you know, checked off pretty much all there is to check off in the AFL space. You've you've branched into coaching and realistically been at the the top of the game in terms of coaching within an AFL space as well. You're here at Western Heights with us. Um, have you got like what are your future goals? Um, Where do you want to go? I sort of live in the moment a lot. I don't sort of forecast too much ahead. I always just think about now and t- what I'm doing tonight and tomorrow. So I'm loving what I'm doing now. So at the moment, this is what I'll be doing for until that enjoyment mm. sort of goes away. And I'm not sure when that'll be, but love love the job, love the staff here. The kids are great. Uh, Maka and Sue's set up brilliant football academy you guys are doing the same with the basketball soccer um i think it could turn into one of the great schools really um so really happy with where i'm now coaching down at bowen heads absolutely love being back in local footy um met some new people down there so feel really energized with all that stuff um so i don't think too far ahead i'm not looking um i want to do this next year and that i'm happy right now really happy with life and Life's good. Beautiful. I love that. Final little uh, piece of gold, mate. You imagine that you've got your your young football protégés that you take care of Monday to Friday here listening to this. Give us one uh, one little piece of advice that you can give them from your all of your years at the top level. Uh, it's just that being able to push yourself and they they need guidance but if they can just the ones that are self-motivated they can just keep pushing themselves you can just become something that you're you're unsure that you'll ever be Um, just don't have any limits on where you think you can get to because I didn't think I was any good at footy so um, it's pretty without pumping myself up that's that's pretty telling like don't pigeonhole yourself and think you can't do this and you can't do that just be prepared to be pushed and be uncomfortable because there's a lot of people here that will support them to get through so they're very lucky I reckon with the people that that are here you can just see the care care factor so don't think that you're not going to be good at something because you don't know like if you just push yourself you don't know how great you can be Mm. it's a beautiful note to leave it on mate thanks Um, mate Appreciate you sitting down for the last uh, last hour or so and allowing me to pick your brains. And um, next time you, you duck down to BWS, I'll have a bottle of a, a prop, proper 12, Connor. courtesy of uh, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat, mate. Jokes. Celtics, <laughs> cannot believe it. <laughs> Thanks, Scarlett.